0: Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to a special message from Amy Wolfram. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. 2 Samuel chapter 6. And it said, David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala and Judah to bring up there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ohio was walking in front of it. David and all of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nikon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned out against Uzzah, and because of his irreverent act, therefore God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day, this place was called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? Today, I'm gonna talk to you about the cost of convenience. Why don't we just give the worship team a hand? Why don't you have a seat today? I'm just so thankful that you're here today. My name is Amy, if you don't know who I am. Um, I am the worship team lead here at Kingdom Church, and I'm just so honored to be part of this church community, so honored to be part of Pastor Harrison and Christy's vision for this church and what God's doing. So today we're going to kind of jump right in. Um, Is anybody else really like, is really addicted to convenience? Or just me? I really like efficiency I like convenience, I want to do things quickly, I want to do them as fast as I can, and I want it to be easy. I like things to be easy, and I think that's our culture. The definition of convenience means this, the state of being able to proceed with something with little effort or difficulty. I personally love it when things are easy. One thing I realized lately, and I think i just, I don't know, in the last year, I hate my time being wasted. Like, it actually, like, inside of me, it's been an issue. I've been, I've been having to deal with it. The Lord's been speaking to me a lot about the fact that I hate my time wasted. So maybe you're like me. Um, I don't like being inconvenienced, so I'm always like, okay, if I'm going somewhere, what is the least amount of traffic? What time do I need to leave so I can spend the least amount of time on the road? Um, I think this got worse as I moved to St. Albert. So I originally am from Mournville, the small town of Mournville. And when you live in Mournville, you're used to driving everywhere because it's a small town. You got a grocery store, that's it. It has a little bit more than that. But I was in St. Albert every day, so we drove. Now I'm like, oh, if I have to cross St. Albert Trail, that's inconvenient for me. I will go to grocery stores on this side of the trail. And I just kind of live my life inconvenient. So this actually leads to me rushing and doing things really quickly. We have a joke in my house. um, When you go somewhere with me and I'm driving, you have to be careful because... When I get out, I like slam it into park, I take my keys out and I jump out and lock the door. I've locked my roommates in their car numerous times. Because I just want to get going. I like to get things done. I think as a culture, we prize convenience. Think about it. Ah, uh, If I just want to eat something, I can look on my phone, put an order in, 30 minutes later, shows up at my house. Even cooking is easier. I think of renting movies. If you remember Blockbuster, in Mortonville we had this place called Movie Time. It was my favorite. You'd go on a Friday night and you'd spend an hour and a half picking a movie and then you'd go home and watch an hour and a half movie. Now if my roommates and I, if it takes us more than 20 minutes, we get so frustrated if we can't pick a movie because we got too many choices. Um, And I think one of my biggest areas of convenience is Starbucks. Do we have any Starbucks addicts in here? Just me? I I don't know. So, I blame it I worked there and their vision got just ran real deep in my in my blood. So, I have an espresso maker, I have a coffee maker and I have a French press at home. But I was noticing last uh, I've been working on it is I still will mobile order Starbucks <laughs> and go walk in, pick it up and head to work because that seems more convenient than me putting on the coffee pot in the morning. And I think it's because we like easy. I think we also like somebody just doing it for us. Maybe that's just me. So today we're going to look at the cost of our convenience. Because who knows, my Starbucks addiction has cost me something. Wow. Right? It has cost me something. So there's a little bit of teaching I have to do with this passage because it's, it's a tricky passage. And what I, I love about the word is... The word doesn't shy away from hard situations or difficulty. It doesn't like, well, I just think sometimes we like to pick and choose the scriptures. Um, but I love it when Pastor Harrison, he doesn't shy away from anything. And I think like we, have to, we can't revise the scriptures, we have to let the scriptures revise us. Um, is a quote I heard on the podcast the other day. So we're going to look at the story. It's a little more challenging. I'm going to just warn you, I actually don't have all the answers. This story is very layered and I still have questions that I'm wrestling with. And that's okay with the word of God. But I think there's just still some truths that we can get. So we have is this is an Old Testament story. Old Testament means before Jesus. It's the front half of your Bible. Okay. And so before Jesus is the Old Testament. And David has become king. David is a pretty big figure in the Old Testament. You see him coming up time and time again. He wrote the Psalms. And so David's becoming king. And he has this goal. He wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. That is his goal. Now, what is the Ark of the Covenant? So, I have a picture up here. The Ark of the Covenant is just like a box, but it was a very, very special box to the Israelites because it is where God's presence dwelled. So, one thing you have to understand about before Jesus before Jesus, God was so holy, he could not dwell with his people. Because of sin. So sin came into the world, and we're broken, and we're sinful. And so God, when his holiness would come, or when his presence would come, we were so sinful that if we got too close to it, we would actually die. Because he is so holy. But God was like, I want to dwell with my people. I want to make a way for them to be right with me. And so he he told them to put the Ten Commandments in the Ark of the Covenant. And what the Ark of the Covenant would do is it would sit in the middle of a, of a tent or a tabernacle, and it would sit in the very center in a place called the Holy of Holies. Now, there's a few things you need to know about the ark. One, it symbolized the presence of God. It is the dwelling place of God in the Old Testament. Second, the God is holy, so there's very specific rules for the ark. It had limited access. Not just anybody could go into the see the ark. No, Not just anybody could get into the presence of God. Actually, you had to be a Levite, which was a priest. You had to be somebody that was set apart. And even then, they only went once a year. So access was limited. But the next thing you to know is the only way to be made right with God. So they would offer sacrifices. And the blood they'd sprinkle on the Ark of the Covenant, it would actually make the people right with God. Because it says in the Bible, without the shedding of blood, that there's no forgiveness of sins. So this is kind of what I need you to understand. So hopefully you're still following. Ark of the Covenant symbols the dwelling presence of God. So what I love about the Ark is throughout the Old Testament, it was placed in the center of the community. So even when they had tents, they would actually put the Ark in the center and they would make all their tents face the Ark. And that was their way of of their culture, their community, saying we will center our lives around the presence of God. We will center our lives around God. So what happens is... The ark gets stolen during war by the Philistines. And so they steal it. And it causes them so much trouble, they send it back. They're like, ah, this is causing us, because you can't dwell in the presence of God if you're not holy, if you're not made perfect. So they send it back. And it's just sitting in Abinadab's house. It's just sitting there. So David's like, I want to make the ark, the presence of God, the center of the community once again. This is where we take off. So David has this intention. He's like, "I want the presence of God to come back to Jerusalem." That is his goal. He wanted the closeness of the presence of God. So I think we look at it, and David's intentions are really good. So I want to ask you, like what's your intention? Why do you come to church? What's your desire? Do you desire to become close to God? Where's your starting point? So our starting point today is that his intention was good. He wanted to send to the community around God but as we kind of read what went wrong so they set the ark so this is second Samuel verse six verse three they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab which is on the hill Uzzah and Ohio sons of Abinadab were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it and Ohio was walking in front of it so what's the significance of this What what is different? If you look, the first thing that kind of pops out in the passage is that they put it on a new cart. Now, a cart seems really sensible. The Ark of the Covenant was heavy; it wasn't a light object, so a cart makes sense. Here's the problem: they didn't go back to God's design, and the God's design for the Ark, if you look, there was poles, and it was for Levites to carry it on their shoulders. It was designed to be carried by Levites people that were set apart by God and it was designed to be carried on the shoulders of men and women not on a cart so the question is where did the idea even come from to put it on a cart well the idea came from the Philistines so the Philistines they brought it back they actually sent it back on a cart so the Israelites are kind of like David's kind of like that's not a bad idea that's really convenient it's easy it doesn't cost me anything. Man, who wants the Ark of the Covenant on your shoulders? Like, that looks heavy. That looks uncomfortable. And so what happened is David chose comfort and convenience over the pattern that God had laid out. He chose comfort and convenience. This is like, could you, it also said it like it was on a hill. So could you imagine, like, you're not only carrying it on your shoulders, you're carrying it down a hill. And this is the most sacred object of your community. I don't want that responsibility. So he's like, well, let's put on a cart. A cart seems more reliable. But they chose comfort and convenience. It seemed sensible. How many of us allow comfort and convenience to drive our decisions to know how we will cultivate a relationship with God? We want God. We want God. We want the presence of God. But we're like, I'm going to choose how. I'm not going to change my routines or structures. God, like this, just like, can you just like be here? This is, like, my routine. I can fit you in here. Some examples, if I think about it. um, Just even, like, getting up earlier is inconvenient. God's like, okay, let's spend some time in the Word. And you're like, well, I stayed up late last night. It's kind of inconvenient. Um, I think choosing a small group, you're like, well, I don't know how busy this season is. And I think, like, there's life, and life is full. But I think sometimes we forget to stop and ask God, like, what do you want? me in this season. We tend to schedule God into our lives rather than scheduling our life around God. We make it about convenience. I think about it this way. Um, what's way more comfortable, tithing after my bills are paid or before? It's much more comfortable afterwards. I'm like, I'm secure. I'm comfortable. I know exactly how much money I have left to give to you, God. But God, that's not the, what God's called us to. That's not what he asks. I think we maybe So we often make it about convenience. What's the easiest way? What's the easiest way to get to God? And that's the effort I'll put in. Or maybe we make it about about comfort. I really like comfort. I like predictability. I like to know where things are going. And so one of my slogans for last year was like getting uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. Because I knew God was going to ask me to do things that I'd be like, nope. Not me. Somebody else can do it. And I think that was kind of the, the... So my motto for last school year yeah, I think like, I like to stay in the comfort zone, another area I like to stay in the comfort zone is with my relationships I will encourage you forever and ever and ever, and I will be your biggest fan, but if I have to challenge you on something, I'm like, that is uncomfortable I don't want to do it and what God has been speaking to me about like is the obedience of like, it's not about my comfort, it's not about my convenience, it's about following him and doing it his way the problem with convenience and comfort is that it'll eventually cost you something. Well, in the short run, it's, it's satisfying and seems to be easy solutions to our problems. In the long run, it costs us. Let's look at verse 6. When they came to the threshing floor of Nikon, so the threshing floor is actually where they, they filtered out the wheat and the chaff, so the good from the bad. And Uzzah reached out and took hold of the Ark of God because the oxen stumbled, the Lord's, Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there because of the, beside the Ark of God. The comfort and convenience doing it the easy way, it eventually will cost you something. For example, my Starbucks addiction, if you looked at my bank account in the last 10 years, I actually don't want to know how much money I spent at Starbucks. I don't. It's cost me something right? My just wanting to do what feels good in the moment has cost me something. And I think we're too often, we're like thinking about what is the, the thing now, like thinking about now in the temporary rather than down the road. Um, so I was debating for him to tell a story, but um, I went on a date once. I don't talk about my dating life very often. So you guys are privileged. <laughs> Oh, thanks. Very okay. But I went out with this guy, and we were talking about, and I was just sharing some of my values, and he looked at me, and he was like, yeah, you have really great values. I was like, thanks. He's like, one day I want to have values like that. He's like, when I finally have kids, I'll get those values. And I just looked, and I was like, those values don't come overnight. Values cost you something. I mean just skate if I just say like you know what, it, today doesn't matter my choices today don't matter I'm just going to skate through and one day I'm going to wake up and like oh I'm not actually where I want to be because I was not willing to pay the cost If it says in Proverbs 14:12 it says there's a path before each person that seems right but it ends in death if you look at the passage, it says, they were bringing the ark and they were rejoicing. There was praise. It felt so right. They're like, we're honoring God. We're going to bring the presence of God. We're in unity. Everyone's rejoicing. It feels right. But I think they, they thought they knew a better way. And we often count on our feelings or experiences to define how we're going to follow God. The problem is that our feelings need to be based on the truth of the word. If my feelings don't line up with what the word of God says... That my feelings are distorted. They need to line up with the word of God. Sure, I can, like, buy Starbucks whenever I want. I can eat whatever I want. But where is it going to lead me? And I think too often we make decisions based on, like, this season of life, I don't think I can invest in community. But where is that going to lead you? In six months, in a year, like, you know, where is that going to take me? And I think we, like, I, it's one thing God's been convicting me on is, like, I really like to lay low on the weekends and stay home. And God's like, there's community that I'm asking you to invest in. But if you just choose comfort, you'll miss it. I need to ask myself, am I willing to pay the cost? Or am I just choosing comfort and convenience and asking God to bless my choices? So what happens when we like, maybe we like do the right thing. We're like, my intentions are good. This feels right. But then God shows up and he's like, actually, this led you somewhere you don't want to be. What happens then? Let's look at David. I love looking at specific characters in the Bible and how they react to things. Because it very, like, reminds me of myself. You can often see yourself and be like, so David, of course, he is frustrated. He says in verse 8, the Lord was, David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez-Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was angry, he was confused, he was afraid. He's like, I was doing a good thing, Lord. I was following you, I was going to church. Right? I was going to a small group. I was, you know, working hard at my job. I felt like I was being faithful. And then God just, God, like, I'm just frustrated. So what do we do when we feel like we're doing the right thing? But then we end up at a dead end. What do we do? David had an error in thinking. He thought it didn't matter how he carried the presence of God, but just that he was there. He thought being in the room was enough. He thought just showing up was enough. Uza actually means strength, and Ahio means friendly. It's this idea that they were carrying the ark in their own strength, doing it the way that they wanted to do it. They had an error in thinking. Error in thinking leads to errors in behaviors. Uza thought and David thought they needed to help God. It was a good thing done the wrong way. My question is, like, how do I respond when things don't go my own way? What David learned is how you do something is just as important as what you do. Uh, So on TikTok, there's this trend going around. It's called quiet quitting. You might have heard of it. You may have not. The idea of quiet quitting is this. And it looks, on the outside, really, really appealing. It's this idea that I will go to work I will do the minimum that's required of me, and then I will go home at the end of the day. It's this idea that, you know what, if I work at eight, I show up at eight. If I end at five, I end at five. I will do what's required of me and not a single thing more. And I think if you look at what David did, he took the culture around him and he conformed it to his own life because that felt good. It felt like sensible. And I think we do that. We take something that the culture is like this is good. Having boundaries is good. You don't need to do more than you need to. Just do your job description at work. That is the basic requirement. They look at that, and we look at that and go, that's actually a good idea. And we bring it into our relationship with God. And we say, God, what's the minimum requirement here? What's the little bit that I have to do? And I measure it. But like, God, I did this for you, so you're going to do this, right? And we live in kind of this exchange culture of like, I'll do it for you. You do it for me, we'll exchange it. And I think that quiet quitting, I think of an example of my own life. Last year, I was in a job. I'm a teacher. And I was pulled out of my classroom last year to do some learning support. So I was in a new job, new position. And two months in, I found it that I did not like this position. I was really struggling. But you know what it led me to do? The minimum requirement. I was like, I'm going to show up at 8.30. I'll be there. I'll be present. 3.15, bell goes. I'm going home. This is too hard. And I remember the Lord talking to me one day, and he's like, you will find no joy in this season and in this place if you don't learn how to do this for me and not for somebody else. So I remember I was, there's a, the verse in Colossians that says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as if for the Lord. And he had me read that verse to myself every day before I went to work. It's just like a practical way to be like, you know what, I'm not going to do the minimum requirement because I'm doing this for Jesus, I'm not doing this for, the, for a promotion. I'm not doing this to look good in the eyes of others. And that changed my attitude at work. Because I can do my job well, and my heart cannot be in it. But the how is just as important as the what. I can come to church, and I can show up and be like, well, I'm here. What more do you want? But the how is just as important as the what. How I live every single day is just as important as what I'm doing. Often we take an idea from culture. We'll bring it to into our relationship with God, and it just feels good. What I love is how David responds. So he responds in anger. He's frustrated. But then what does he do? He pauses. He takes the ark, and he puts it in the home of Obed-Edom. So it says, so David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. So what happened? When it was put in the right spot and carried by the right people, there was blessing that follows. Now, I don't want to say that if I follow God and do all the right things, that blessing's going to follow. I think what happens is the presence follows. So, he plans, so what David does is he pauses. He goes back to the word, and he sees what God says. And I think there's many times in our life when we're frustrated, we need to go back to the word. What does God say? What does God say about this situation? What does God say about, this, about my life? It says, First Chronicles 15, so this is what he finds out, verse 13. Because you Levites did not carry the ark the first time, the anger of the Lord our God burst out against us. We failed to ask God how to move it properly. We just failed to ask God what he wanted. What do you do when your intentions are frustrated? You reflect and you ask the Lord. There's a season in my life, um, I was just turning 30, and I had this like the highest level of frustration i've ever had in my walk with god and i was so frustrated with him because i had this this running kind of record in my head this narrative that said okay god um this is the life i want this is how i'm going to get there so i i was like i'm coming to church i'm like leading worship i'm in community and then god kind of and then i just said and then when it wasn't coming i was like god what are you doing don't you see all the things I'm doing? And God just kind of like, I took this season with the Lord. And he just said, did you even ask me if that's what I had in store for you? Did you even ask me if that direction was what I wanted for your life? Did you even take some time and be like, God, what's the promise for my life? Or did I just kind of assume that like, you know, this is the way culture goes. You're married by a certain age, you have kids by a certain age, and this is what my life will look like. And I just remember him taking that season of he's like, just, will you trust and obey and he led me out of that season and he and he just he actually led me to kingdom by the way today is my three-year anniversary of being a kingdom church but I just look at if I had chosen in that season and this is not a pump me up or but I just want to I want you to see how this works if I had chosen to be like God your way's too hard I look at the world around me. They got it easy. They're getting exactly what they want. They're just going after it. And God, you're asking this of me? You're asking me to go and to try something new? And I think if I hadn't learned, and I think over and over that season, God's like, do you just lay it down? Will you just obey me? Will you just get into my word and and see what I have for your life? Will you just inquire and look to me? And that's what David did. He was driven to the word to discover that worship and bringing the presence of God has a proper order. There's a proper way to do life in the kingdom. Doing it out of comfort and convenience means I do it as it pleases me. This feels good. The worship in this church feels great. And then the worship in this church doesn't feel great, so I'm going to try somewhere else. But doing it God's way means doing what pleases him. Our greatest offering to God is obedience. Choosing to center your life around Jesus means choosing to do it His way. So what David had to learn is he had to do it God's way, if he wanted the presence in his life. Choosing to center my life means that worship is about Him and not about me. It means it's more about being—it's not about being efficient or convenience or comfort or the easiest or fastest way. It's about obeying Him. Choosing to center my life around Him is about choosing God's way in every season. So how does the story end? So he kind of, he regroups, he pauses, he kind of goes, okay, we didn't do it God's way. And he tries again. He doesn't give up and like, nope, obviously it didn't work. I couldn't bring the presence of God to the center, to the city of David. So. But instead he's like, nope, we're gonna do it again and we're gonna do it God's way. So it says in verse 12, So David went up to bring up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the Ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf, wearing a linen ephod, and David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he had all Israel bringing up the Ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of of trumpets. So if you look, at first glance, it doesn't look much different. Than the first time, but his heart was different, and I think there's a few small differences. It says they were carrying the, the, the ark of the Lord on the shoulders of the Levites. He found the right way to do it. The second thing is he realized it cost something to follow Jesus. They offered sacrifices, so every six steps they would stop and they would offer a sacrifice, and then you know what they would do? They would rejoice and celebrate. And shout. And that was, you know, the first time they worshiped and shouted, it felt right. But the second time, it was right. And they shouted and they expressed. And so it's not that our life with God isn't emotional, there's still an emotional expression with it. It costs something to follow Jesus, but it also costs you something not to follow Jesus. One of the costs of convenience that I find, the highest cost that we pay, is our presence our presence with people, our presence with God. Um, I teach third grade, and eight-year-olds are probably the most inquisitive people on the planet. Up there were three-year-olds. And so I was sitting at my desk, and I like to get a million things done at once. So I'm, like, marking, and my emails are open, and the kids are all working. And I'm, like, set up this time that I could do my marking because I didn't want to bring it home. I'm sitting there, and I'm, like, okay, I'm going to get this done. I'm going to be efficient student comes up to me to my desk and goes, Miss Wolfram, and I went, what? In a really sharp tone, because I had been interrupted. And she looks at me, and she asks this very sincere question, something about residential schools that she was, like, generally curious about. And I remember, like, I just felt this in my, in my spirit, that, like, he's like, your efficiency and your wanting to be doing things easy and fast is going to cost you the relationships of your students, because what they need is my presence. You know, my, my teaching could be great. And my assignments could be awesome. The marking could be on time. But if they don't have my presence, that I, I've failed them. And I think, like, the presence of God is one of the most precious gifts that he's given us. His presence among us. The problem is, But sin and access, the sin had like kind of limited our access in the Old Testament. So the only way you get to the presence of God was like to bring it in and to go into the Holy Holies. And it was once a year and we have that whole situation. And I think what is really beautiful about this is like when they offered the sacrifice, it actually is a foreshadowing to the ultimate sacrifice. That I think sometimes we take for granted, like, think about in the Old Testament, if you wanted to, like, have an encounter with God, the amount of steps you had to go through just because you were so sinful and God was so holy. And what this did in this story is, if you look a little bit further in the the book of 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles, it actually opened up the tabernacle of David, which was a place where people could come and worship. It actually opened up worship for the community. The sacrifice. And that's how they, they had to function until... Jesus came. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, for it was not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, "You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, "Look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in scriptures." Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by one offering, he forever made perfect those being made holy come on there's actually like if you read about the crucifixion and i just think about the cost that jesus paid and he's on the cross and right when he dies there's a huge veil that's in front of the ark of the covenant which is showing the limited access and it tears from top to bottom to show that the access to the presence of god has been is no longer limited and when Jesus came as an ultimate sacrifice for his sins, it was a way for him to say there is access for everyone to experience the presence of God. The, one of the greatest gifts, it is now accessible to everyone. And I think that that's the idea of like God is dwelling with his people. It says that we become the temple, the tabernacle that he's dwelling within us, that his presence goes before us, it's in us. So Jesus came. And he gave up his own comfort and convenience. So think about it. You have all authority, all power, right? You've created the world. You're outside of time and space. Yet you choose to lay it all aside, to come down for people that are stubborn, for people that are sinful, for people that make, we make dumb choices on a daily basis. And he comes and he says, you know what? I love them so much, and I want to dwell with them in such a mighty way that I will give everything. I will come as a baby, as an uncomfortable baby. I will learn how to walk and talk, and I will live among the people, and I will go to the cross and take the, just, it was such a shameful death. I will be uncomfortable. I will be inconvenienced so that the people that I love can experience my presence and my peace, and my hope, and the love I have for them. And I think this is just, this is what he invites us into, to access the presence of God. God doesn't matter, he wants to be part of your life. The world says, if you're a good person, you can make it to heaven. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We can't handle Jesus however we want. We can't handle the presence of God just however we want because there is only one way. So how do we center our lives around him? I think we need to realize that the cost we pay is nothing compared to the cost that he paid. It's nothing. The inconvenience that I might go through by, you know, what God's saying like, stop. I know you're rushing, but that person, they need you to notice them. Hey, I know you have plans, but stop. That child needs you. I know you need to get things done, but stop. And just notice what I'm doing right now and ask me, God, what is your way? What is your way? God is calling you, but he, and he wants the best for you, but will you do it his way? Will you choose his way when it's inconvenient and uncomfortable? Will you choose your way when it's hard? I think it's really it's really easy to follow God when life is easy. But it's when life is hard. I like this. Uh, there's a speaker, and she talks about being 100 little yeses. That every day I have the opportunity to make hundred, like thousands of little yeses to become closer to Jesus, to choose his way over my way. And that's what actually develops, develops into the people we want to be. It's not the big yeses. It's the thousand little yeses that got me there. The thousand times I was like, you know what, God? I'm going to choose your way. And when I don't choose your way, God, will you correct me? Will you humble me? Will you show me where I went wrong? We're going to stand today for a minute. Maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what, I've never experienced the presence of God. Maybe you're saying, you know what, I, I didn't know that someone had came and paid the ultimate price for me. I just want to say I'm so glad that you're here today that God is waiting for you, that he wants to show you a better way, a better way to live your life, a better way to lead your family. And so I just encourage you, if you're someone today that wants to make a choice to follow Jesus and do it his way, that you make that today. And I'm gonna pray for you in a second. Secondly, if you're somebody, maybe you've been in the church a while, but you're kind of like on the fence. You're like, Jesus, today I'll follow you, but tomorrow, you know, this just seems more important. But today you want to say you know what I want to do it God's way even when it's uncomfortable when it's, even when it's inconvenient I want to choose his way and so we're going to bow our heads close our eyes this morning I'm going to talk to the first group first if you're today and you've never made the decision to follow God and you want to today I'm going to count down on the count of three and you can just lift up your hand and give me a wave I'd love to pray for you if today is the day that you want to know Jesus for the first time, just lift up your hand in three, two, one. And today if you're someone you know what, I know my heart hasn't been completely in it. My heart's been distracted by other things. My heart's been going after things that just aren't of God. And you're like, today I wanna I wanna turn. I want to be like David did and say, you know what, God, I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to turn, God, I'm going to do it your way when it's hard and uncomfortable. I'm going to find community that can support me. I just invite you, if you want to lift up your hand today and just say, I'm going to follow him in a fresh new way today. Thank you for your hands. I'm just going to pray for you. Jesus, I thank you that your way is better, that, God, you gave it all. You paid the highest price so that we could follow you. God, we just declare that your way is better and we turn from the ways that we know it's made it about us, made it about my life and what I want. And God, we say today it's all about you. It's all for you. It's all because of you. And nothing else will ever come close to just your presence and your love and your peace. And God, I can't live without your presence and I can't live without you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to that message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or you want more information about our church, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to get in contact with you. Until next time, take care.